Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast downloaded over one million times worldwide and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your host, Tim and Jill Savage, coming to you from Ngunnawal and Ngambri country. This is episode 280 of the Australian Hiker Podcast, and this week we talk about assumptions in hiking. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice so that each episode is available as soon as it's published. And if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. If you do longer hikes, particularly ones that involve going off marked trails, or if you hike in unfamiliar areas, you may be required to make some assumptions. The problem with assuming is you don't always get it right, and as the old saying goes, if you assume, you can end up making an ass out of you and me. In this podcast episode, we go through a multi-day example and look at the positives and negatives of making assumptions when planning your hikes. We hope you enjoy. Now, as we mentioned, when you're going through and planning hikes, you tend to go through and find as much information as you can or as needed, depending on what the hike is. For short hikes on well-marked trails with lots of directional signage, you typically don't need to do a lot of planning. For longer hikes over a single day or multiple days or even multiple weeks, you generally don't have all the information you need unless you're doing a hike you've done before and have all the, the knowledge that you, that you necessarily need. When we go through and do reviews of hikes on the Australian Hiker website, we work on the basis that we try and minimise the assumptions that you have to make. So if you're not familiar with an area, we try and take the, uh, the, the worry and the concern about things that you don't know. And that's the point of only doing reviews on those hikes that we've actually walked and experienced because, you know, that, that's how we got started because we noticed that the information that was available and the reality of what you experienced were, to varying degrees, quite different. So depending on the hike, the assumptions you make really are going to vary, but we'll look at the more generically, and then we'll go into providing a multi-day example about how things can potentially go. In doing a hike that you're not necessarily familiar with, you do have to either find the information from somewhere, but that's not always available. And in that case, you're going to have to make a series of assumptions about what the hike's going to be like. Is there going to be enough water? Is the trail marked? What's the signage like? What are you going to see on the trail? Falling waters, as an example, if that was the name of the hike, would probably have a waterfall on it. <laughs> You'd um, hope. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it, that may not be the case. It could be a desert trail for, for all it really comes down to. But the more information that you have, the, the less concern and the less worry there is. And it means that you can actually focus on enjoying what you're doing rather than having to think about every little aspect as you're going along. So having that information available before you start a hike 
certainly does make the hike more enjoyable, but it's not always going to be available and you are going to have to, have to, as we said, make assumptions. Now, the positives tend to be in that case through here is that if you can think about things that potentially can go wrong, it's like, okay, so what do I do if I don't have enough water or if the water source I think is there isn't, where's my next water source? Yeah, it's preferable to have that sort of information, at least in your mind, and then if something occurs on trail or doesn't pan out on trail, you then know what your next step is if, if things haven't gone to plan. So ultimately, the, the need to make assumptions helps to fill those gaps in the knowledge that you have or that, that for that matter, everybody else has as well. So as we mentioned, if you're doing a, a walk that is short and well signposted, you don't really need to make those assumptions. Uh, the worst case, it might be that, all right, is there a toilet there or not? Uh, and uh, is there car parking there? But, you know, the walk itself may not be an issue. So being able to make assumptions will help narrow down the concerns and the worries and means you can actually focus on enjoying the hike itself. The negatives around making assumptions are quite simply is you can get them wrong. <laughs> um, you know, if you, if you assume that a hike is uh, dry, as an example, uh, because you know, everything you've heard about a particular hike at the trail is nice and dry, but there's been lots of rain, which is what we're getting at the moment, and all of a sudden it's wet and it's boggy and you're having to walk through water and you hadn't actually planned on that. I'll use it as an example here of the Overland Track in Tasmania. Now, snowfall on the Overland Track is a potential issue 12 months of the year. It's usually not going to occur in late January through to early March, but, but however, we, however yeah, we, it has, I've talked to people and read enough reviews and read enough blogs where it doesn't matter what month of the year uh, there is potential for snow. So if you assume that you're going to get snow, that way if it, if it does happen, you've, you've planned for it and you've got the, uh, the equipment that you need and you're not necessarily going to worry about it rather than turning up in a pair of thongs and shorts and a, and a tank top. Uh, and finding out it's freezing cold and you've got two foot of snow on the ground and, and it's the middle of summer. Yeah, and I think the other aspect of that, I mean, if we're thinking about snow and places like Overland Track, it can slow you down. So you might have to stop for a little while in one of the huts or your progress through the track might be slower than you had anticipated, which means that you might need extra food. And I had a work colleague a number of years ago who'd done the, the Overland Track multiple times and he ended up getting snow when he wasn't expecting it. Uh, he was snowed into one of the campsites for two days and eventually just had to walk out because he didn't have food that was going to last him for the rest of the trip otherwise. Now, it, you cannot plan for every possibility of this and there's no way knowing you can say, well, I'll, I'll carry an extra six days of food just in case I get snowed in for a, a long period. It's just not practical. But you don't want to go from plan to the nth degree and have absolutely no uh, leeway if something does go wrong or something changes. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to exhaust all your food as you're walking towards, you know, the very final um, destination of your walk. You want to have a little bit of food left over. <laughs> I think the other thing with making assumptions as well, 
there's a degree of how conservative your assumptions are. And this is going to depend on you as an individual. Some people who are extremely feared, uh, who've done lots of hiking, have lots of experience, particularly in an area they're going to, might say, well, okay, I'm not going to carry that much extra food. But that may not always work out. If you make the wrong assumption or you're too conservative or not conservative enough, that can cause a very unpleasant hike. Uh, it could cause a hike where you've got, you're a day short of food and you're, and you're starving on the last day because you didn't want to carry that, that bit of leeway, that bit of extra just in case. It's an interesting one, actually, I think, because with your experience, you become very confident about what you've experienced along the way. And so say if you're an experienced hiker and you've done a particular hike many, many times, those two things come together, which possibly mean that you will fine-tune your assumptions uh, to the point that you overlook things because you haven't experienced them before. So you're making the assumption that they won't happen because your experience says that they won't happen, but they could. Now we'll go into a multi-day example that I actually had to deal with in real life. And again, it required me to make assumptions and I didn't always get those right. If you're interested, you can follow along on the written article uh, of uh, this podcast. And you can also follow along on the trail right up for the Kyandra to Canberra walk. Now, this was a walk that I did over Easter in 2019 this was the last section of uh, the Australian Alps walking track, and I just wanted to see how I would go on a section of that track and what it was going to be like, just for to go through and help me to plan the full track at some point. I had gone through and, again, planned as much as I possibly could. The, the section I'd chosen from Kyandra uh, through to Canberra, was past Mount Kosciuszko, out of the out of the, the big mountains, uh, and we're making way way back for the last 112 kilometres back to Tharwa, which was the end of the track. And when Tim says that he planned as much as he could, he's a planner, so he really, really did plan this. Now, I'd allowed myself four days to do this walk, so that was roughly around about 28 to 30 sort of kilometres per day, roughly. And I just planned on doing this in three days, but I had a fourth day up my sleeve just in case something went wrong or my assumptions weren't quite right. So I'd assumed that I could do this in three days, but I'd allow myself an extra day just in case things didn't go to plan. In this situation or this hike, there were things that did go to plan and there were also things that didn't go to plan. Now, the Australian Alps walking track is by no means the longest track in Australia. It's roughly around about the 650-kilometre mark, but through the Australian Alpine National Parks. And while the section that I did did have some ups and downs as far as hills were concerned, it was I'd basically bypassed all the really steep sections of the trail. <laughs> that was good planning. <laughs> uh, but again, it was just sort of walking into that into Canberra and that, or into the, in the outskirts of Canberra just to sort of give myself an indication of the trail itself. Now, the Australian Alps walking track is probably one of the most technically difficult trails in Australia. You are required to either get someone to drop food off to you or to cache food, simply because you're not really passing directly through towns on a regular basis. 
And in addition, it's a relatively remote sort of trail. So while there is signage on the trail, there's not a lot of directional signage. So certainly if you look at a track like the Heisen Trail or the Bibbleman Track, there is lots and lots of, tra- of trail markers. In the case of the Australian Alps walking track, there are sections where there you're just having to guess in some respect or take a compass bearing about where you're heading. So if you look at the cover image for this podcast, it's a, an image of an open grassy plain and basically there's a little sign where you start this area that says take a compass bearing of this this uh, particular degree and yeah, this just is, head out. <laughs> and this is how many kilometres roughly because there is no form trail. Now, there was the occasional trail marker, which I wasn't expecting in all honesty. I was expecting to have the sections of no, uh, of just open grassy plain and no, no trails on there. Uh, but it did surprise me to, to find the odd, odd trail marker here and there, which just reinforced that I was going the right way. And in that sort of situation, I was aware, I'd assumed what the trail was going to be like, and I was fully prepared for it. So making an assumption on the, in the case of wayfinding worked really well for me. Where things didn't work well was probably the next three main assumptions that I made for this trip. So I got one right. Uh, the other three I've sort of got right, but not quite. I, over a period of years, know exactly how fast and how far I can travel on a particular day. I know that on a particular terrain, whether it's flat or whether it's hilly, what my average speed is. So in that sort of situation, when I was planning on doing 112 kilometres in three days, I knew roughly how long it would take me to do each of those days and where I'd end up camping. Now, I typically work on an average of 3.75 kilometres per hour outside of the very hilly sections of the Australian Alps uh, or the really remote sort of uh, dense bush. Uh, And on that basis, I expected to be doing roughly around about eight to sort of nine, maybe even 10 hours a day maximum. uh, And it didn't actually work out that way. Uh, I found that... um, while the trail in most cases wasn't overly difficult, um, uh, th- where it actually came to was not so much the travelling distance per day, uh, that, that bit I'd got right, but it was a combination factor of my fitness level. And doing this hike, I was probably at around about 65% of my, my peak level fitness, uh, so I wasn't travelling as fast as I expected to be, and as a result, it was taking me much longer to where it was going. So I had two nights on the trail. The first night I got into camp, uh, it was later than I would have ex- would have expected. I did expect to get there quite comfortably around about four o'clock. Had set up my tent, have dinner, uh, and be uh, and as soon as it got dark, be ready to go to bed without too much problem. But the first night, uh, I, I really did sort of land in to my campsite, my planned campsite. Uh, when uh, it was just about getting dark. So where I ended up putting up my tent, it was an area that I I was familiar with. I knew really well. I'd walked through there on a regular basis, but I hadn't planned on doing it in the dark. 
Uh, and when I got there, there was somebody else that was already there and put their tent up. So I wanted to put my tent away from them. And I ended up having to put my tent up in an area which wasn't ideal uh, because there were limited campsites in that particular area. So it was more a combination of fitness and expectation about how fast I travel uh, that ended up um, that throwing me out of, uh, out of kilter in that respect. The last assumption that I had a bit of problem was, was water. Now, so this section, the last 30 kilometres of the trip itself, I had done this a number of times uh, in, the part, in the previous two years to when I did this walk, and in every situation, there was water everywhere. Uh, there was a couple of larger, I won't say rivers, but uh, larger creeks. Uh, there was water sources just about everywhere I'd go to, even just rivulets on the side of the road, so water was never an issue. On this particular instance, this was around about April. It had been a dry, hot summer, uh, and the rains really hadn't sort of started into the, the winter period. And as a result, there was a lot less water than I was expecting. So I came across a number of water sources that, that I assumed would be there and in place, that, and there was just nothing there. Uh-oh. So even coming through Murray's Gap, which is at the base of Mount Bimbury, this is a saddle that takes you over a, a, a series of hills into Namaji National Park proper. And you know, previously when I'd done this, over about three years, it had always been wet. Uh, it had either been wet or sopping wet, but never been dry. And coming through on this particular day, it was bone dry. There was no water source anywhere. I, I, I did have enough water, but I ended up getting water at Cotter River, which was, uh, it always runs, it's never bone dry. And it was a situation where I had enough water, but I, uh, I probably needed a bit more, uh, and I would have certainly drunk more water, more water if I had have had it. So trying to find water, and even if you go through and look on, on satellite images or you have a look on websites to where water sources were, the ones that I were, were aware of just didn't exist at that stage. The following day was the real issue for me. So I had plenty of water coming uh, into that evening. Uh, I had probably a, I think it was probably about a, a six or seven kilometre walk uh, to my next water source. I thought, yep, not a problem. I only have a short distance to go after this. So I only filled up my uh, water bladder uh, probably around about two thirds full. And that was a mistake. So I'd assumed that I'd be able to pick up water source later on in the day. So as I walked past the campsite, the last campsite heading towards my destination, I thought, yep, I've got plenty of water. It's enough to carry me through to the end of the hike. And it was, wasn't overly hot, but I found myself, uh, I was probably around about four kilometres out and I was out of water. Um, I'm not sure that that was an assumption or a brain snap if you, <laughs> you walk past a water source and not fill up and then four kilometres later, you're out. Yeah, and I think, again, I'd assumed that I would come across water I just and that was that was what I was working on. Uh, and I did actually walk past a number of what you'd class as water sources and in wet periods they would have been fine. The first one I came through, I thought, I'm getting a bit desperate here, so I ended up uh, putting getting enough water into my water bladder uh, and the best way uh, to describe this was dirt with a bit of water in it. 
uh, and it ended up clogging my filter, so it wasn't particularly helpful. Uh, and I was, there was no way I could drink it without filtering it. It was I would have been just drinking sludge to a great extent. Uh, my next water source, I thought, okay, yep, there's some there's some farm old farm dams in, the, in one particular area that I was aware of, uh, and that's where I actually ended up picking up water. Had I have had the choice, I wouldn't have. Um, <laughs> the best way to describe this dam was uh, it was gelatinous, um, and it was almost like you know there was as much cow saliva in there as more so Ugh. than water. Uh, so, but I desperately needed a drink, uh, and my I'd made I'd cleaned my filter up by this stage, and I may it did actually work, uh, but yeah, there was no way knowing I would have drunk it uh, without having a filter. You know, that was again for two days. Uh, I'd made assumptions on water sources, uh, and in two days I'd gotten it wrong, and this was based on my familiarity with this area and. This was just something that was so out of character for this particular section of hike that I ended up paying the price on it. That you know, I was getting getting a bit weak towards the end of the hike. I definitely needed, certainly needed more water, and I certainly drank a lot of water when I got back to the uh, uh, the, the car park at Namaji National Park there at the, the visitor center. So I think the you know the point you're making again is is the one I made earlier about sometimes your familiarity and your experience of a particular place can uh, lead you to making assumptions that are unhelpful, make you blind, I think, to possibilities and because your experience said that there's water here. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's you know normally in some respect if it had been an area that I wasn't familiar with, I probably wouldn't have made those yeah, assumptions. Exactly. You know, if I'd, I'd been, if I'd done it, picked another section of the trail to do, I, I'm one of these people that if I, that it's going to be a, a possibility that, that however remote that I won't have enough water, I will fill up even if it's more often than I need to. Having the, the knowledge, I suppose, in some respects is not a good thing because you, you do make assumptions about what you expect to find there. And certainly in my case, I've done these this particular area a number of times. I'd done it in the height of summer during very hot weather and was very familiar with it. But, you know, cool of time of the year, just expected that there'd be plenty of water there and they normally would have been, just not on this particular instance. Mm. So I think overall we do need to make assumptions for hikes, but I suppose it's a matter of building in that leeway, building in that degree of conservatism. I think there's a... Uh, uh, a term in hiking called uh, ultralight, which you, which if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll be fairly familiar with. And this is where you strip any unnecessary disposables or consumables or strip anything necessary out of your pack. And there's also an, another term that's called uh, a super ultralight. Um, um, and it's also known as stupid ultralight, <laughs> uh, where... Uh, you strip things out. I don't need a first aid kit, so and, you know, and, and in all honesty, I've never used a first aid kit apart from bandages or uh, ibuprofen or getting a splinter out. And on that basis, I could leave my first aid kit at home, but it's something I'd never go through and do. 
Uh, because as soon as you do, you're going to need it. You're you know going to need it, yeah. And you know that that transfers to the rest of your gear as well. That okay, I I won't bring a down jacket because it's summertime and it's not going to get cold. Or I I won't bring a change of socks because um, you know one pair of socks will do me. Uh, or I I won't bring uh, an extra half a day or a day's worth of food because I know I can finish this trip in two or three days and it ends up taking you four. So. Providing that bit of just-in-case uh, is certainly something you need to factor in. Uh, and again, you can only do this by making assumptions, but you make assumptions and then you allow uh, a just-in-case factor on top of that. Yeah, I think, you know, use your assumptions, as you said before, to fill those gaps, but don't cut them too fine. Okay, that's all for this episode. Um, again, with the idea of making assumptions – Know what you can about yourself and your hiking style. Find out as much information as you can about the area you're going to and factor in that just-in-case factor uh, to uh, cover you in case things do go wrong and your assumptions don't pan out. And hopefully you'll end up having a great hike and a safe hike. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.